The Way Out Podcast, episode 311. What is your name? Hi, Charles. My name is Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Dee Dee Pfeiffer? What was your substance of choice or DOC? My DOC was alcohol, but let me tell you, it's whack-a-mole because before I could drink, it would have been, it would have certainly was food. I was a love addict. Um, you know, the whole thing actually, and now the pot is legal, had, I didn't think it smelled like skunk. I'm sure I would have made that my <laughs> choice. Well, anything really at the point, you know, it's anything, yeah. <laughs> but alcohol would kneecap me. That was the one that took me under, yeah. Absolutely relate with that on a very intimate level. And fans of this podcast know that addiction whack-a-mole is a phrase regularly invoked by yours truly because that was my experience. Although like you, alcohol was my first love and my ultimate downfall. And it took me out for sure. Yeah. Well, it's legal. So, you know, and it's also socially accepted. Let's go to happy hour, which is my favorite thing in the world to do. Happy hour was my, uh, like, well, I want to say my heroin, but I don't do heroin. I did alcohol, but, but you know what I mean? To this day, when I drive by happy hours, my heart goes something. Yeah. Yeah. I live there in happy hours. I was happy in happy hours until I wasn't no longer happy. <laughs> Although I have to admit that food was probably my first true addiction because my dad would always say that Charlie had the quickest hand of the cookie jar. Mm. And so after my mom died when I was 11, food, I think, really became that first overindulged comfort that made the bad feelings not so bad. Absolutely. I think that there are normies who don't drink and what have you, who don't have an addictive personality, let's just say, or an addictive biology. You know, they use sometimes food and other things to help, you know, kill the pain or distract them for a minute and then they kind of move on. But then you have those who actually have an addiction and we just take it to a whole nother level. <laughs> and we're conniving and we're clever and we're, you know, we're, we're really kind of really amazing creatures, addicts, because we will go to any extent to get that fix, whatever it is that we focused on, right? And that's what makes recovery just as powerful. You take all that energy and turn it towards recovery, there's no stopping you. But let me tell you, when you're active in your disease, it's that same incredible force that keeps you in your, your, your addiction. So when you want that cookie, Charlie won that cookie, he was going to take down the whole damn shelf if that's what it is. 100%. Damn cookie. <laughs> Right? My love addiction, if I was going to get you to love me no matter what, because I had to, it was my drug. Mm -hmm. And then alcohol, oh, whatever it took, right? I drank maybe one drink in front of you. I went home and polished off a bottle or two, you know, high functioning, you know, and always hiding and all that stuff that I do not miss. Thank you. Oh, I do not miss my Jekyll and Hyde program. Not even a little bit. (laughs) No, thank you. The girl or the gal that helped me get sober, um, Kathleen Murphy, Murphy, was so wise. And she had said the same thing to all of us addicts in rehab. If you guys took all that energy and passion and strength and drive that you use to continue using, to continue to be activated in your disease, to make damn sure you got that next fix, whatever that DOC was, think about that same energy towards recovery. There's no stopping you. It's just a matter of t- uh, that switch. But only you got control over the switch. Only you're the one who wakes up one morning and go, click, that's it. That's it, I'm done. I need help. I, I need help and I want to do this, right? 
Absolutely. The amount of energy I was spending, spinning my wheels like a boat with the motor on high going in circles over and over and over and over. And I just needed to be pointed in the right direction with all of that energy. Yeah, that's what it is because it's the same energy you're going to use to get high and continue to hide in society if you're high functioning or uh, push everybody away if you're out and loud and, and active in your disease and pushing everyone, you know, all that. All that energy when transform into a different direction of saying, hey, I want to live. I want to change. I want to do this. Whoa, do not stop somebody in recovery if they really want their recovery. You know, we, that, that's me, man. Get out of my way because I'm... Yeah, you're not going to take me down. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. Didi, what is your clean and or sober date if you keep one? July, you know, it's funny. I keep saying it's July 29th, but my sober coach, (laughs) the whole time said 27, but I'm dyslexic to no end. And I get dates. I can't remember my own kids' birthday. Trust me, they remind me. Um, (laughs) I'm going to buy this and it's my birthday present. Okay, honey. Um, So I'm going to say it's the end of July and it's the 27th or the 29th. Either way, it's four plus years right now. And all I know is when it gets to the end of July, my heart goes, oh my God, did I just get another year? Hold, someone slap my butt and call me Charlie. That's right. <laughs> oh, how'd that happen? Because I just stay in the moment and get through this moment, moment by moment. F, forget about day by day. It's moment by moment, honestly. Just Diddy, congratulations on four plus years of continuous recovery earned one day at a time. But see, that's something else that people forget about in recovery. No one gave that to you. No one gave that to you. You earned it. Every day that you chose not to use, every day you chose to do the next indicated action, every day you chose to help others, which is part of your own recovery and others' recovery, every day you you, you say, I am not going to become a dry drunk, okay? Because they are not sexy and they make us look bad, okay? I'm sorry. You know, if you're just going to be nasty and sober, then... Mm. <laughs> I don't get it because if I'm going I'm to be a jerk, I'm just going to drink and then call it a day, right? So the whole point is we, it's a rebirth. Recovery is literally a rebirth. You get to start all over again, start the clock all over again and get it right and better than ever because you, you are somebody who's got through to the other side. A lot of people go to the light. The addiction takes them to the light too soon, right? Whether it's the initial mm-hmm. using or their relapse. Yeah. They're too, they're, they don't get that second chance or third chance or fourth chance, you know? We do. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't take that lightly, man. I, every day that I wake up and I'm seeing and breathing and, you know, um, it's another beautiful day, man. Yeah. No doubt about it. And I am a huge fan of second chances. Full disclosure, this interview is a second chance. <laughs> because the first interview vanished into the universe and will never be recaptured again and so i am incredibly grateful for second chances well yeah we're doing it again so basically we did this entire interview yesterday <laughs> went to like i said i have these little spirits and these energies that follow me around they're very frisky and i think one of them jumped in and thought i think she needs to do that over again <laughs> we're going to try a heart attack in the interim part, but Dee will go, oh, let's do it again. Sure, let's do it tomorrow at 11. That's cool. I'll be vacuuming and shut the vacuum off and let's do it again. <laughs> it was absolutely tremendous because when I realized that it didn't record properly, I was devastated. I was 
in despair. I went for my walk and went through the five stages of grief, but I got to apply recovery tools. I chose to respond Mm -hmm. instead of react. And I didn't allow myself to treat me poorly or other people poorly because a bad thing happened. And it didn't ruin my day. Because this is what I think, Charlie. Check this out. This is my philosophy. Life is going to do what life wants to do. Life is going is just moving on, doing its thing, right? And we're just like little peons, little pawns in this bigger picture. So life is going to throw you ball sometimes. It's not about getting thrown a ball. It's how do you deal with that ball when you get smacked you between the eyes? Because that's called life, baby. I'm sorry, it happens, right? So. What are you gonna do? React and go, ah, you gonna lose your mind and, and have this reaction that you afterwards go, oh wow, that was a little much. Or go, oh, big breath, go take a walk around the block. But you know, so what, how do you handle it, right? Point, you just have to sometimes turn it around also and say, well, if this happened to me, how would, if someone told me they, we did an hour and a half interview and, the, and it's gone to cyberspace, would you lose your mind or would you say, hey, don't worry, my mouth, do it again, it's all good. You know, and if I was if I was coming from a place of ego, I could have had any other response, which was, ah, you know, but when people react like that, that's just their ego. And I just think every day that my ego, I mm. try to keep all of those people that come up sometimes and rear their heads. I try to keep them um, in the trunk of my car with my addict who's named WD Fitty. Keep them all in the trunk. I'm driving this car, not them. Yeah. Yeah. It's an opportunity to apply our recovery tools. Because if life doesn't do what life does, when, where are you gonna practice these tools? Because God knows we weren't born with them, clearly, right? So now that we're in recovery, we get these tools to try, but if life doesn't kind of sometimes on you, how are you gonna learn Indeed. to use them, right? Absolutely. To see how effective they are, to see how powerful they are. You see, these tools really can change your life. Yes. Taking a pause, I call it the Trevor pause. We talked about it yesterday. That pause, keeps you from reacting and gives you the ability to respond. Absolutely. And it's not just a pause, it's a few beats. Trev, Trevor is a guy I lost, a friend of mine who's 20 in rehab. He went to the light, just went, he went out, you know, and he got fentanyl and that was it, gone, done. And he was gonna help children with disabilities. He's mm-hmm. no longer here with us. It's just a damn shame. But I remember in rehab, he was just saying, people, because the therapist was trying to get all wordy. And he goes, it's really easy. Just shut your mouth and don't speak for like 10 seconds before you were, were, you know, say something back to the person. Just shut up. And I said, Trev, thank you. (laughs) You're going to take this moment and you need to breathe. He's like, just nail your mouth to the wall just for 10 seconds. Just shut up and then respond. And I thought, oh my God, he's so right. And every time I do it, I go, God, it's a Trev pause. And it gives me that moment to go, okay, uh, my response is sometimes no response. Sometimes my response is, okay, I heard you. Is there anything else? Cause I'm gonna go walk away right now and think about what you said. I'm afraid I might say something I'm really gonna regret. What do you mean? I Because right now I'm not thinking with the right head. So I'm gonna take a walk, but listen, I heard you. I did, I heard you, I really did. And I've got to promise, when you walk away and you come back later, or you text them later, or you email them later, or whatever, send a pigeon, homing pigeon to them later, your response will be different than had you reacted. Absolutely. Guaranteed. The real authentic person has a chance to respond versus the jerk that reacts. And then now you gotta go do damage control for that. And it's just a big messy mess, you know? 
No doubt about it. And one of the biggest lessons I learned early in recovery is I don't have to act the way I feel. Yeah. Ooh, that's another level, right? Right. And I can choose an action that's consistent with the person I am trying to become. Mm -hmm. So when I allow myself that pause, I give myself the opportunity to choose to act or not act or respond in a way that's consistent with the person I'm trying to become. And often that means I don't have to respond at all. I don't have to do anything. It doesn't require my input. It doesn't require my participation. I always thought it required my participation. Yeah, well, we always, we all do. (laughs) You know, what's interesting is that as actors, we say there's a lot in a pause. Because you know what happens when you pause and shut up? You leave the other person sitting there and all with all their stuff, whatever it is they're going, going through. And you just sit there and mirror them. All that's left in the energy between the two of you and the noise is their stuff. And if that's negative or nasty or mean or whatever, you really want to fire back. Because you have a right to, gosh darn it. Sometimes you just leave them there with their nastiness. I, that's really <laughs> That's really uncomfortable. Much more uncomfortable than if you were to tell them to F off. Much more uncomfortable if you were to check them. And even though you might be right and they're wrong, I'm telling you, let them sit there with all their wrongness. Absolutely. <laughs> that <Yeah>. is super, <laughs> that's a whole nother level of, of messing with somebody. <laughs> you can really take that to a whole nother level. But it's also really empowering. You get to walk away and say, well, okay, there's that. I'm out now. Okay. I'm going to leave you with that, Johnny. <laughs> Johnny, I'm going to leave you with that. And I'm going to walk away right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Didi, how do you serve the recovery community? Every day that I'm sober and then I, I will talk to anybody. I, I My Instagram, Didi Factor Official, often um, I shout out a lot. I've done a lot of random thoughts, Didi's random thoughts about recovery, about things we just talked about, about how life throws you shit balls. It's not about whether or not that's going to happen. It's how you're going to deal with it. I talk about the Trevor pause. I talk about anything that randomly comes up in my head, whether it's from my education, from having gone to college and being a, um, a psych major or and a master social worker or my own recovery going to rehab in, 50, in my 50s going through menopause. Not sexy, am I bad. <laughs> kind of trauma was carrying I was carrying around. You know, just like a lot of my own life journey mixed in with my education. And um, I want to give that back as much as I can, whenever I can. And I just love that. It, yes, it, it's selfish because it bounces back at me. When I see someone smile or respond to something I'm saying, it bounces back at me. Mm-hmm. It's amazing when we choose to recover out loud. I love it when you said that yesterday, dude. Yeah, recovering out loud. That's me. I'm so loud. It's ridiculous. Hi, Dee Fever. Nice to meet you. I'm sober. You're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Where'd that come from? <laughs> when we choose to recover out loud, it affords us the opportunity to smash stigma and it allows others to see us as an example of what recovery looks like. And maybe it gives them the hope and the courage to reach out to you or reach out to a friend that's in recovery and begin their own recovery journey. 
Absolutely. You, know, you said something so important. When I was active in my disease, I made fun of people when I dropped by AA meetings. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, coffee drinking, smoking cigarette freaks. You know, <laughs> I was not a judgmental person, I promise you. But boy, I was judgmental when anybody would say, oh, well, I'm sober, I don't drink. I Inside, I'd be like, ah, put up the, you know, the X. And I just hiss at them as if I was a cat, you know, not in their face, but underneath because I was, I was scared. I was afraid because I'm, I can tell you one thing, man, that's very telling looking back. I mean, why would I be so judgmental if, I wasn't such, if there wasn't fear around what it was they were doing that I didn't feel like I could do? So why did I feel like I could do it? Because I didn't have the courage yeah. to say I need help. I did not have the, um, the, the, I was so riddled with shame and embarrassment. I didn't know how to ask for help, right? Because I couldn't figure out why I couldn't stop myself. Why can't I be like everybody else? You know, go from wine to beer to beer to, you know, vodka to wine to beer to, you know, just the whole playing the games with the alcohol. Well, I didn't drink during school or whenever I worked as an actor or when I carried my children. I can't be an alcoholic. I mean, all those falsehoods that don't make any sense, right? And actually uh, are really keep people in their diseases. But um, there was also this uh, stigma um, that because I'm from the older generation, you know, mm. when you when you got knocked down, you got back up, didn't rush it off, didn't hurt, keep going. Yep. And that's that's my dad, North Dakota, high functioning alcoholic. And actually, I want to say I'm going to say functioning, not high functioning, because my mm. dad never got to his full potential because of his disease. And my mom, with her mental illness, also never got to her full potential because mm. she didn't get the help that we now have. Right. So I'm the first one in my generation that says the buck stops here. I, you know, and I had a family who tried to do an intervention on me, but at that very moment, for whatever reason, I guess you would say hit my bottom. But honestly, I had many bottoms along mm. the journey. I mean, in my 50s, think about all the bottoms I hit. Yes. Think of all the times I tried to quit. Do we, do we try to quit every Sunday morning, don't we? Every Monday morning. We go, that, I'm not doing that no more. You know, and then you do. And then you do, you know, find yourself once again at a happy or whatever. But I finally started to think something, something's got to change and I don't know how to do this. I felt like such a loser. I'm a fifer, right? Oh my God, when people find out, they're going to judge me even more. Mm. And you know, they came, my family came to me, tried to do an intervention. And I said, well, I was already looking at 800 numbers, anonymous uh, addiction, anonymous numbers. I'll go. Just let me know to take care of my kids and my animals. And my family was very taken back because had they asked me any time before that moment, I would have told them to F off. And I would not mm-hmm. welcome you for a long time. Welcome to the world of addiction. When you're acting in a disease and you're not ready, you will be told to F off. And we will not talk to you. And have <laughs> nothing to do with you. We know you're trying to help us, but we are not ready. We're only ready until we're ready. For whatever reason, I was ready. So there I was two days later in rehab. Bam, 30-day intensive. Then 30 days um, um, intensive, in, in, inside or whatever you call it. Um, on campus, out of campus, the whole thing. And then I took a year off of college to find my sober legs because I didn't know how to maneuver life sober. I completely had no idea. And that was scary. I had no idea how I was going to survive financially with two boys and all these rescued animals, (laughs) you know, because I needed to get that degree to work. Um, But it all worked out because I just had to believe in that word that works best in the dark. Faith. There you go. Right? Faith. Faith works best in the dark. I always hated that. I'm like, I don't like that. What do you, I, I want to see it. I want to touch it. <laughs> Absolutely. No question. And you talked about bottoms. I truly believe that there are no bottoms in 
addiction. Our bottom is when we stop digging. If there were bottoms, people wouldn't die from addiction. And if there were bottoms, people wouldn't recover with two cars in the garage and an intact family unit. Your bottom is when you stop digging. Right. Yeah. And when see, that's honestly, I think I was exhausted from crying. I was exhausted from the energy it takes to be a high functioning Absolutely. is exhausting. It is. And as exhausting and tiring as it was, I also had two boys looking over at me who were, were, were I, I thought they deserve to know the real me, but I don't know who in the hell that is anymore. So I had some work to do. And it was in recovery and in rehab that I discovered for the first time in my life, in my 50s, what they mean when you get on an airplane and they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself before your kids. I was like, oh, y'all crazy. I'm not going to do that. And uh-uh, everything for my kids first and my animals first, the world first. I was always the last one on the totem pole, right? But I never understood that until I got into rehab. And then I was like, oh my God, I now get it. Because I was slowly dying and I didn't even realize it. And anyone out there, are you really living every day that you're active in your disease or are you slowly dying? Mm. Tell you the day you decide, okay, I want to change is the day it's reverse. And you go from the identified problem to the identified possibility that day. And every day since, you will be continue to be the identified possibility. Because the possibilities are endless with that rebirth, what you can have in your life. Didi, what a great segue, because I believe you probably just said it, but what does recovery mean to you? <laughs> well, it means being continuing to make the choice every day to be the identified possibility. Because even normies look over at us sometimes. They may not say it out loud, but they're like, damn, I don't even understand what it means to kick an addiction. Every day they're doing it. Like I, you know, they start to look at their own lives, your family, your friends, you start looking into their own backyards and going, what am I doing that's so monumental as that person in recovery? Because what we're doing is not weak. What we're doing is courageous. It takes courage. It takes strength. Sobriety and recovery is not for the wimps. I'm sorry. You got to have some balls. You got to have some strength. You got to have some will to, to every day say, I'm not giving into that beast. That How is that weak, right? And other people look over and go, damn, I would have drank if I was her over that. And she didn't, right? Or him with the meth. Ah. That man, just, cause I have a lot of friends who are in the LGBTQ community and the meth and the body image and all that. It takes one thing and you know, that, that trigger or whatever and you're off. But I don't believe in triggers because what happens is your addict is doing push-ups when you're not looking. And then all of a sudden your addict use some stupid reason or important uh, reason to use again. But I'm telling you, it wasn't that one thing. It had started before that. They're called prelapse signs. And anybody and everybody will talk to you. Anyone who's relapsed will tell you, they're there. You just weren't looking at them. You weren't listening to them. And I think prelapse signs are probably one of the most important part of recovery. Don't, not beyond just getting sober. You've got to really take care of your sobriety like you would a child. You don't give birth and then send it out in the world. You got to keep maintaining that child. You know, right? And kind of navigate. Every day. Yeah, you've got to navigate and, and scaffold and take care of your recovery program like you would your child. Every because day. Every day. Every day. Because the addict in you, any, you give that addict one inch and he'll take a damn mile. He ain't playing. He will take you down. Welcome, Way Out faithful and first timers, to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple 
to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, we have a stellar interview with Hollywood actress and person in long-term recovery, Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Dee Dee has donned both big screen and small, and after a 10-year absence from Hollywood, Dee Dee Pfeiffer is back starring on the outstanding ABC drama, Big Sky, which is about to drop its season three premiere this Wednesday, September 21st on ABC and Hulu. A single mother of two young men, Pfeiffer has been hard at work during her recent time away from Hollywood, earning a bachelor's degree in psychology at Pierce College, Valley College, and California State University, Northridge. It was at UCLA where she earned a Master of Social Work. Her area of concentration includes mental illness, substance abuse, and homelessness. Dee Dee shares her journey to and through recovery to this point with tremendous humor, disarming humility, true candor, and the keen insight that can only come from the one and only Dee Dee Pfeiffer, whose greatest message just might be the extremely freeing and empowering feeling of recovering out loud, which she does at every opportunity online, in person, and with us here on the Way Out Podcast. So listen up. Dee Dee Pfeiffer, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Way Out Podcast. I cannot wait. 
to dig in to your journey to and through recovery to this point and talk about Big Sky, now about to launch season three this Wednesday on ABC and Hulu. My fiance and I are now two episodes in and we are legit hooked. It's absolutely amazing. Before we dig into any of that, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience? Tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get started. Hey, Dee Dee Pfeiffer. I play Denise Brisbane on ABC's Big Sky, New Night. This week, we're premiering third season, 10 p.m. Pacific on ABC. Uh, for those of us who, who follow us, we are in a new night. So make sure you send send those recorders or set those recorders to Wednesday night. And yes, you can catch up the first two seasons on Hulu. We are a fantastic binging show because we do leave cliffhanger after cliffhanger after cliffhanger. We are the cliffhanger kings and queens. So um, but yet, when we come back, we are the old school where you got to wait every Wednesday to watch it. Like we have the way we grew up. That's right. Or some of my friends, because they're such binge monsters, they're like, I got I like I wait to like four or five and then take a weekend and just binge it, you know, because they can't I can't wait. I can't wait every week. So it's a great show that way. You do have the option. Right. We are. um a show that's uh, C.J. Box's novels. Um, the show is uh, revolves around and about two detectives running around in this Montana town, and boy, they meet some some very interesting people, and I think some old thinking. I would say would as how I'd probably call that. <laughs> yeah. Thinking meet new thinking, and a lot of some creepy characters that you actually kind of care about. That's what's so cool about our show. Like we, literally, the way they wrote these characters that they're just wrong, they're just bad. You want them to either like die or go to jail, but you also care about them. You're like, but he says mom is all messed up. What? How can you me hate him? You know what I mean? So we really mess with you, right? You do like. Yeah. How do I have compassion for this <laughs> sick, twisted individual? But I feel bad for this. Yeah. person yet i am scared out of my mind fight. yeah our f- followers get in fights if you want there's like a chat <laughs> thing get all like it's hysterical they get all like um yeah well you know he should go to jail no you don't understand man look what his mom his mom's twisted man she's messed it and if you were driving a truck and it was just really <laughs> big, and then and then oh the girls kylie and Kathy. oh my gosh yeah, we have. And then what we did to a, a very specific character in the pilot sets up the show that we do not trust. Don't trust us because you shouldn't because <laughs> people mess you up. We so many of my friends have called me and they're like, OK, first of all, I, why didn't you tell me? Right. Gonna happen. Right. For real. Dee Dee, for real. Now I know what you're talking about. And for real. And for real, like, yeah, like this is a show. Do not spoiler alert because it takes all the fun out of it, you know. And um, but just, but then don't worry about it because we'll get you on another turn. I mean, if that someone spoiled that one, we'll get you on another turn. We, yeah. There will be no spoilers on this podcast about Big Sky. That I can guarantee. But I highly recommend you run, don't walk to your nearest device to be able to watch Big Sky because it is well worth your time. One of the things that I think is so great about your character, Didi, in Big Sky, is that her sobriety is just a part of her character in a very everyday, normalized kind of way. It's not handled in this 
dramatic, spectacular main component of the character kind of way. And I think that's really important. It really is like how we meet people in recovery in everyday life. There you go. When David um, called me to ask me if I was still acting when I was finished up college and said, I have this perfect role for you. Um, her name is Denise. You know, are you still acting? Of course, the answer was, are you joking me? Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> a text. I almost dropped my phone. I was like, ah, yes. So I said, well, who is she? And she said, he just goes, she's you. Just go, just, she's you. So I was like, oh my God, well, no, she's not me. She's not divorced three times. She's not 58. She's 50. I'm playing, yes, a younger woman. She's 50. Thank you very much. Um, so I mean, it's funny that I actually said that out loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I started this when I was 18. And now I'm actually saying I'm playing a younger woman at 50. Um, but Denise, what I love is that if you were to meet me, unless I bring it up, you'd never know that I was sober, right? right. Recovery. But I generally always bring it up just because I really am I'm like you. I'm loud and proud about my sobriety. And I also want to just get rid of that, that stigma, the, the shame and all the stuff that keeps those who are still suffering in the bowels and the corners of, of society suffering because they're so afraid and they don't know how to come out and say, hey, I need help because there's still so much um, negativity around it, right? Because the bottom line is this, and it, an addict um, doesn't have a choice because it's a disease. And I think that's where people get confused. Any more than someone with cancer has a choice. They got cancer, man. Come on. It's a disease. Right. And if they don't do something about their cancer, they'll die. And addiction is no different. You know, eventually it will not only if not takes you to the light, it will ruin you so bad. It will take everything away from you that you may still be alive in your body, but you might be out on the streets living with those experiencing homelessness and have lost everything. Is that really living? Right. Absolutely. Because, because addiction is not a choice. Right. And so considering it's a disease, it's something that I really want people to know that, um, it's something that I live with every day. It's something that I have to take care of every day. Um, it's not who I am. It's something I have, right? And it's something, it does, it's not my identity any more than anyone who has cancer is that's their identity, right? Absolutely. And actually, because I'm in recovery, I think I'm probably a better person having somehow, if you can say, if you could somehow say this, <laughs> I'm a better person having been in recovery than I was before. And that's crazy. I never would have thought when I was acting my disease that there would that recovery would actually allow me to become my authentic self because I didn't know what that was. Right. And every right. day that I recover, I have an opportunity to find out who that is and be less scared of the stuff that I've gone through. Right. And recovery and, then becomes a superpower. Oh God, yes, that's what it is. It's a rebirth. Yes. Well, think about it. when you re when you have a rebirth, it is a superpower because yes. it's all new. Because I can tell you one thing about recovery is you're not going to take your old shit with you. Okay. It's not happening. Good luck with that. Okay. So yeah, you're going to probably have to get some new friends. You're going to have, to have some new habits. You're going to discover what you're, give yourself time to find your sober legs. Right. So I wouldn't go right to a bar and say, Hey everybody, I'm sober. Cause that, that would, I mean, if you can do that, great. I would find that really hard the first year to, you know, I just had to change everything. I had exit plans, safety plans. When I went to holidays with my family who drink, they're normies, right? I said, here's what's going on, peeps. I'm going, I'm going to probably there for five minutes because I love you. And then I'm out. Okay. And they're like, okay, we, that makes us sad, but we understand. I ended up staying probably half an hour, an hour, just because I knew that they knew that this got to yes. out. It's a safety plan. Absolutely. And if you call it that, then they, they kind of can't argue with you. I mean, they can, but you know, 
And I love the safety plan. We have that when we go into events that we know there'll be a lot of alcohol consumption. We come in with a plan, my fiance and I, and we have a code word. If either one of us is uncomfortable, we just say that we probably should get home to the pets. Nobody questions it. If she says it, I don't question it. If I say it, she doesn't question it. We're out because we're uncomfortable. And I'm in the, I'm now acting again, which is, is interesting because in the industry, yeah, there's a lot of getting together is, well, not during COVID, but after right now we're kind of starting to get back to normal. So going to having drinks with cast and crew and stuff is starting to come back around slowly. Um, I have to be really careful about that. Those are big for me. So I told the cast, they all know I'm sober, of course, because like Denise, I'm just, I just am. Right. Denise is like you said, there's no big episode. It's it's discussed a little bit here and there. Like, I don't know anything else. Right. Exactly. It like she has pets or she whatever. It's yeah. Yeah. She just, you know, oh, Denise is in recovery. Right. Right. Everybody else is dot, dot, dot. Right. This one is Denise is in recovery. That was a psycho killer. This one has an effed up mom. (laughs) These two, these two lost the same boyfriend. (laughs) I mean, everybody is something. right? Right. And she, Denise is also Mama Bear, which is really fun because that's where, like me and recovery, I love to help people. And Mama Bear is part of who I am, so I get to bring that to Denise. I love that character, and I love how the character really does act as a connector between all the other characters that are going here and going there and going there. And you know, Denise acts as that sort of grounding, sort of connecting character between all of them, right? Yeah, Mama Bear. Absolutely. Yeah. And Absolutely. It's, I love the fact that Mama Bear is sober, and it's just something she is. Yeah. And it's you know, when when it warrants to, to bring it up, it's brought up. Otherwise, it's not. Period. And that's such what I think you and I are trying to advocate for, which is you know, to stop apologizing for it, stop judging it. And by the way, I'm telling some of the most the coolest people. I have ever met in my life were in rehab. Until I went to rehab, I always felt like an outcast. I still am. Here's the box. I am way <laughs> And for, for my entire career and within my life, they're always trying to shove me in that damn box. And finally, it took me to be in my 50s and sober to say, stop putting me in the box. I'm going to kick and I'm going to scream and it's not going to get pretty. I like the outside the box it's where i'm comfortable and there i've met a bunch of people in rehab who are the same damn way they never fit in they never felt like they fit in i thought oh you people are my peeps Didi, multiple attempts at recovery prior to my last seven plus years ago i would walk into 12-step meetings and half of me would think this is great for you all and you all definitely need it but i'm good (laughs) And half of me desperately wanted what they had, mm-hmm. but I couldn't get myself to get there. I wanted that serenity. I wanted that peace. I wanted that sense of just comfort. They wore their sobriety like a loose fitting garment. And I wanted that, but I just couldn't get myself there. But seven plus years ago, as you related at the top, when I surrendered truly and truly got honest with myself for the very first time and another human being, Mm. my treatment counselor, I stopped running from my addiction 
for the very first time. And when I went down into a 12-step meeting, it truly felt like coming home. Mm. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I belonged. Yeah. And that is an experience every human being deserves to have. I agree. For me, I had lost all my spirituality. Because what happens when you're, when you're in your, active in your addiction, you lose your sense of self. Mm-hmm. Everything that means anything to you goes out the door, right? And keeping that addict alive and kicking, you know, is basically priority. That's it. And like I said, it's exhausting. But when you can find that moment where you finally want to turn that around, you know, flip the switch, is when you get to get reunited uh, with your God, say you have a God. By the way, I just want to say this. I had a huge issue with God. So the whole AA thing already was going to make me like, you know, get away from me, right? Do not be putting your God in my face. I will get pissed. And it's not that I'm anti-God. I just don't, I, that's your thing, not mine, right? And I would never push my philosophies on religion or whatever onto you. But when I went there, my, uh, the gal who ran the um, rehab said, listen, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Some people actually have a God and that's beautiful. Their, their recovery is going to be a lot easier if you have a God. <laughs> you just got to kind of reintroduce yourself to him or her or they. But if you don't have one, then what you do have is spirituality, meaning there's some there's humility in believing and knowing that something is bigger than you. It doesn't have to, for people who have a God, that's it, right? Ooh, done, easy. I didn't have that. And a lot of people I know didn't have that, right? Our God was a group of drunks, G-O-D, Right. So I did believe, and I do, always loved animals. I love nature. I love Mother Earth. I've always been really interested in paranormal stuff and what have you. And she just said, well, what about Mother Earth? I said, what about her? <laughs> is she bigger than you? Well, yeah, I can't put her in my hands. Of course, she's bigger. She's more powerful than you. Well, see, yeah, I can't like grow a tree. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't make the Grand Canyon. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and the universe up there with all those planets and other universes and God knows what's out there and the life that's out there. I, I can't make that. And she goes, well, would you say it's bigger and more powerful than you? Yeah. She goes, well, there's your God. And I was like, oh, that's easy. But now then I, so I discovered it in my head, but then it was took time to make it go into my heart. Ah, yes. Because you can think it, but if yes. you don't feel in your heart, it ain't going to land. So she said, give it time. I'm not expecting you to get this overnight. Just n- your mantra really is, Mother Earth is bigger than me. She's greater than me. And that, and that humbles me. And there's, you know what I mean? Because it's in those moments of humility, too, is when the real, beautiful, authentic self is able to come out and shine, right? That's also where you want to give to others. Your ego's not in play. There's just this room to heal, right? And just forgive yourself and others. Right. Um, I love what you said, Didi, because it reminds me that in recovery, I've learned that I have to act my way into right thinking. I can't think my way into right living. And that was my experience around God and spirituality. Like you, I hated God. I had an enormous resentment against God because God took my mother away when I was 11, and I wanted no part of a God that would do that to anyone. And I listened to a lot of Joe and Charlie in the beginning, and I really believe it took Bill and Bob to write the big book and Joe and Charlie to explain it. And they kept just saying, run the experiment. Don't worry about the process. Just run the experiment. 
or trust the process. That's trust it. Trust the process. In UCLA, when we were flipping out in our master's program, they say, trust the process. And I was like, we were like, F the process. This sucks. I can't. <laughs> you know the problem with when they say that? Because you can't see it. That's it. You can't see it. It's like that face thing. The face works best in the dark. Trust the process. You're asking me to blindly trust something that I can't see. I right. Can't, I don't know. Right. But people who uh, who are ahead of you in the game, who are, are ahead of you, who know the, what the result's going to be like, and damn it, they were right. When I finally graduated, I said, oh, shit, there was a process that I just did not get. And I, they just said, just, just trust the process, shut up and do it. And when I hit the recovery, they said the same thing. I was in rehab. <laughs> trust the process. And I, of course, I stand up and what is with all you people telling me to trust the process? They say in my college, now tell me in rehab. I said, and I hate that. Like, I just, but that's where you also have to give it up. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And trust the process, which is really hard, but it's it also really freeing. And rewarding so because rewarding. Yeah. I started praying to this God that I had no concept of, because if I could make it up, it wasn't big enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I did that every day and every night. And it was extremely simple. That's the other key for me. It was simple. All I did was get on my knees in the morning and ask for help. That's it. Mm-hmm. And at night, I said, thank you for today. But I meant it with every yeah. fiber of my being. And those very simple prayers to a God that I didn't understand or didn't have any concept of, and I only call it God because I don't have a better name for this spirit this entity it started changing me in profound ways and mm-hmm. how i experienced the world and because how i experienced the world changed what i was putting out into the world changed and you talked about that and when we put out something fundamentally different what we get back is fundamentally different changing the very energy in your sphere in your life you know what i mean and that makes that changes the other person the other situation's energy as well it's complete it's the same thing with reacting responding when someone says f you and you go f you back there's some energy going on there and it's not very pleasant very it's pretty negative but if someone goes f you and you go mm, uh um pause mm-hmm I can hear you're pretty upset at me right now. So I'm going to go walk around the block before this gets any worse. Look at the difference in the energy in those two, two situations, Absolutely. depending on how you react, right? Absolutely. Going back to the God thing, like getting on your knees and praying makes a difference. Some people have tr- issues with that. So for me, my, my uh, suggestion, because I don't pray, but I meditate. And I don't sit there like, yum, yo, reggae, kyo. I don't do that either. <laughs> meditation can literally be take a walk and use your senses yes literally be mindful of using your senses go take a walk throw yourself out of your environment especially if your head is starting that narrative that your addict is tapping you on the shoulder go take a walk and say i'm going to use my five senses i'm going to walk for a block and just use my eyes literally what do you see with no judgment i might add just what do you see i see trash oh that's interesting there's a lot of trash this week okay and then your next sense your smell the next block smell what are you smelling? Oh, I actually smell some lavender. Oh, now I smell trash. Okay. Huh. No judgment. Very hard. Next one, use your ears. Oh, I hear a lawnmower. Oh, oh that reminds me when I was a kid. My dad used to mow the lawn. Oh, you know, right? I use all touch. When you're walking by the next block, touch everything. Oh, I never knew this planet car was fuzzy. Oh, oh, that's a that oh that has thorn. <laughs> right. And then the next, I can't remember the other sense. What is that? <laughs> smell t- well, don't don't taste everything. But but anyway, so if you walk. By the time you take a walk and you've used all your senses with no judgment, I might add, and catch yourself when you do that, go like, whoa, okay, not happy about the trash, 
but we'll put a pin in it and we'll go on because that's not what this exercise is about. To get you out of your head. And that is a form of meditation. It's just becoming mindful of your senses, your environment. And when you come back, you're going to have shaken yourself out of that mood, whatever that mood was, it threw you out the door to begin with. And you might actually even make a phone call to your city and say, hey, we have a lot of trash out in front. Can, can I make a report to somebody to ask to have that be picked up or whatever, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're proactive. You're in your community. You're out of your head. You didn't relapse. And maybe you become like the trash monitor in the neighborhood. I don't know. I mean, but you know what I mean? Absolutely. And prayer can take many forms. And yeah. so can meditation. Yeah. The key is, is you stated, is being present and mindful in it. And working to not judge and not allow the itty bitty shitty committee <laughs> to that. take over. Yeah. And being mindful and present in it. Meditation's huge for me. I never thought I'd be a meditator. My spiritual journey started when I started praying to this God that I didn't understand. And that action provided an experience that informed my spirituality and it really launched a spiritual journey. I'm a spiritual seeker and I do meditation today and it's not perfect. That's a practice, just like prayer is a practice, just like everything in recovery is a practice because we're not good at it. Trial and error, man, because at the end of the day, if all you did by the time you go to bed is show up and that's it, showing up means one thing, you didn't use your DOC, that's it. If that's the only thing you did that entire day was not used, you are still on the winning track, my friend. You got, you know what, you got some walls right there because you did it. And the next day will be different, I promise you. It's just, well, because it's a different day. How can it not be different, right? But more importantly, you showed up because some days that's all you can do. And Absolutely. that's already a lot. So sometimes you just got to give yourself a break and say, okay, all I'm going to do today is lay, throw myself in the bed and not use. Okay, fine. You're st- there you go. Hey, that's awesome. That's beautiful. Because the other alternative is you could go to the light. Yeah. And most people don't want to go to the light too soon. They're just trying to kill the pain. They're trying to yeah. run from the pain. They want the noise to stop. But yeah. we have skills as people in recovery to learn uh, to, to, to we get a ch- an opportunity every day to, tr- to use, right? Turn cool. on the TV, junk, junk food for the brain. I don't care. Watch whatever the heck it is. Oh, watch Bike Sky. There you go. Junk food for the brain. Go for it. <laughs> We won't make you think too hard. As long as we are sober, we have an opportunity to continue to grow in our recovery and apply those recovery tools some days better than others. No doubt about it. That's normal life. That's not recovery. Oh, it's really hard. Okay, go ask one of your normies. Ask them if they've ever had a really shitty day. Right. Of course they have. That's called life. So I like people who go, well, I really had a bad week, so I drank. That is stupid. That is, no, I'm not going for that. I'm not falling for that. My friends tried that on me. I'm like, no, no, and no. I know people who are normies who've lost their children. So don't tell me they don't have bad days. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, if you want to use that as an excuse that, you know, you're that's, you know, no, no. And I don't I don't want to come off like I don't have compassion because I do. But I know how clever addicts can be because I'm one. So it's like, you know, they say you spot it. You got it. Yes. Right. Oh, so I see some of my friends start getting a little itchy is what I call it. I go, oh, yo, man, your addict is doing push ups. Yeah. Hey, Johnny. You better check that right now. Let's go. What's going on? Uh-uh. What do you, what do we need to do for you right now? Tell me what that looks like. Your addict is doing push-ups. I will call you out. And they'll be like, well, I'm like, no, don't you woo me. Uh-uh. 
don't you no uh don't do it i'm like you, you kind of want me as your friend and you kind of don't <laughs> but i promise you i will be your biggest cheerleader you want to live i'm there for you right I'm a thousand percent absolutely you talked earlier about we have a disease and it's a disease in my experience that i have to treat every day because mm-hmm. in my active alcoholism and addiction I ran into two truths. The first truth was over any length of time, my addictive behaviors or substances would become unmanageable. Mm -hmm. They would become unmanageable. I I would suffer some sort of internal or external consequence that would make that use or behavior unmanageable. And over any length of time, abstinence became unsustainable without a solution. Yeah. And those two truths kept running into each other over and over and over again. I can't use. I can't quit. That's a rock at a hard place until I surrendered, asked for help, and then began learning and applying tools of recovery. And you know what that's done, Didi, more than anything else is it's raised my baseline. I don't have bad weeks anymore. Yeah, I rarely even have bad days every once in a while. Most of the time, it's bad hours mm-hmm. because I have tools. is nothing compared to your worst day when you're actively in your disease. 100%. You cannot compare them. And I double dog anybody to come up against me and, and prove it to me. Tell me that the, on your worst day when you're active in your disease, that's even near your worst day when you're sober. Uh-uh. There, just, uh, no. And by the way, you brought up something I think is really important. When I was when I was in rehab, when they said surrender, surrender, that word bothered me because remember, I was a, dad's a German man, right? He didn't give up, right? And and she stopped me. She said, "Why do you say give up?" I never said give up. I said surrender. I said, "What the hell's the difference between giving up and surrendering?" And this is how I was in rehab. <laughs> and remind me to tell you about self love versus baby likes to get to self-love because that's another thing i was in there checking all and they're like you need to get your clinician hat off <laughs> and some people were like they thought i was like undercover like a therapist like i'm like no i'm an addict they were like well, why are you so mouthy i said because i want to be involved with my treatment because i want to help people when i get out of here and i i got to get this so so i think for a lot of people including myself you're asking them to give up that's a that's like a hard pill to swallow no pun intended right but when she broke down the difference and i think it's a visual that you have to think about because this is when I started to really start to break down old thinking, right? Because that's something else we got to do as addicts because we have a lot of barriers up. We got our gloves up. We're about to fight with anybody, right? To keep, to hold onto our old ways and old thinking. So when she said the difference between surrendering and giving up is this, you're on a war, you're on a field, right? And you're in a war and your whole army just throws their guns up and says, I give up puts their guns down and runs off the, the um, just gives up, gives up. I'm out of here, right? And they run off the field. Surrendering is putting your gun down and waving a white flag standing there solid. You're not running off that field. Surrendering says, I'm still here. I'm holding a white flag. Let's talk. Mm. This is not working. Let's talk. And look at the visual between the ones that are running and giving up like little, you know mm, what? Yes. I don't want those people on my team, but the one who's sitting there surrendering with the white flag, ooh, that's someone I can talk to all day long. And that's who you want on your team. So when you're in, so when you think of it as surrendering, it's quite powerful and you get to take a breath because the gun's down, man. 
take a breath and let's have a conversation. It means stop fighting. There you go. Stop fighting with yourself. That's it. Stop fighting with my addiction. Stop alternating for me, fighting it and running from it. Well, yeah, because what you're really doing when you're fighting with others, you're fighting with yourself. Because there's the authentic self that's trapped inside oneself with the addict who's running. This is how we, okay. In rehab, we had to name our addicts. I named mine WD Fitty. (laughs) Why I named her WD Fitty is because WD was, was, stood for wild dragon. Because I said, well, first I wanted to name her bitch. (laughs) My counselor said, well, now when you go to talk about your addict, you're going to have a negative. Right. (laughs) <laughs> right. when bitch. So she, she asked me to think the name of my addict. So I did. And I said, well, it feels, my addict feels like trying to train a wild dragon. So that's where WD came up with, right? WD wild dragon. And I was in my fifties when I was in rehab, which is certainly a big thing for me. So I never said 50. I always said fitty. So I just named my addict WD fitty, right? <laughs> it's interesting. If you think about WD 40, what it does in life, when you spray that shit on hinges, what does it do? Makes it work and it quiets it down. And there you go. It quiets it down. It takes the squeak away. Well, what do you think the addict is doing inside of us? Mm. Trying to calm the squeak, the noise, the pain, the trauma, the confusion, the outcast. The, the addict is constantly trying to manage all of that noise inside of us. So there's almost, a, you almost want a compassion level for that part of you that's trying to manage it, just not doing a very good job. So you, this is in rehab or when you get into recovery, you have the opportunity to say, WD Fitty, here's what's going on. You driving the car, you don't know how to drive. Okay, girlfriend, you're going to ram us into a damn wall. You're going to take everything away from me and you're going to take us to the light. So I take my addict every day, put her in the trunk and I lock her in there and I drive the car because I know how to drive. She doesn't. I love that because I also have a personified addict whose name is Chuck. Chuck and WD Fitty. <laughs> and Chuck is a cunning and baffling fellow, and he will often come up into my head at inopportune times and mm-hmm. whisper sweet nothings to me, such as, you know. You haven't been to a meeting in a couple of weeks because you had this thing going on and you didn't spontaneously combust. Mm. Hmm. Maybe you don't need those meetings. Maybe it was you that were keeping you sober this whole time, not the 12 steps, not your higher power. And if you kept yourself sober all this time, first of all, good job. You're amazing. And second of all, I mean, let's be honest, you could probably have one. And that is the beginning as you talk about those prelapse. That's my prelapse sign. When Chuck big, starts. Big one. Absolutely. I to talk you into just one. Hey, every time I go by a happy hour, I swear to God, all of a sudden I'm driving my car, mind my own business. And I look over and see an old happy hour that I used to love to frequent or a new one that I have yet because I'm now sober. And all of a sudden I just, I swear to God, I feel W something tapping me on the shoulder. And I'll look back and I swear to God, if WD Fitty, she got out of the trunk, she jumped in the back seat, and she's tapping me on the shoulder, whispering my ear. <laughs> just one, just one. Look at you. Maybe it, maybe it was just a phase. Maybe it's just a trauma. Maybe, 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 maybe. And I know in, immediately in that moment to stop, pull my car over, take that bitch by the back of the hair, throw her back in the trunk, and lock her in there and say, uh uh-uh. uh, we know you can't drive. 
we gave you a shot and you almost killed us. Go back where you belong. And I immediately do something, whether it's like you said, go to a meeting or I'll call a friend or I'll text or I'll do some random acts of kindness, just something to uh, distract myself from myself. Yes. But no, I, I will say, oh, that's a prelapse sign. Keeping that inner addict in check is such an important piece of what we're trying to do in recovery one day at a time. Didi, tell us a little bit about what your bottom looked like and then what your pathways to recovery looked like. I had many bottoms. You know, I told my counselor in rehab, I'm so afraid of relapsing. And she said, let me ask you a question. How many times did you try, did you try stop drinking or stop eating or whatever it was, whatever your DOC yeah. was? I said, oh, all the time. She goes, those were all relapses, my friend. Yeah. You've already experienced relapse. <laughs> you to the light and now you know more. Okay. So my bottom, I had many. Mm -hmm. I think I just finally in my 50s was just exhausted. Yeah. And again, I didn't know how to ask for help. And at the same time, the universe, somehow Mother Earth and my family all came together and they said, hey, we want to do an intervention. I said, hey, you don't have to do that. I'll go. I, I'm ready. I, yeah. I need help. So for me, I was very lucky that way because had I not been ready, it would have been very ugly. Yeah. Um, now, I love to talk about uh, how there's different ways to get sober and there's different treatment plans. But AA is not the only way. It's, it certainly has helped a lot of people, including myself. I did have to go through my whole AA book or my, yeah, and scratch out the word God through the entire thing and put Mother Earth or love. Because for me, those were more powerful and the God word was triggering. So I, I was taught, do what you've got to do for you. To, and don't worry about people judging you. There's, there's PGers and they're really, really strict with their, with their sobriety. They wear, they wear their sobriety like a tight corset, right? And that's cool for some people and that works. Not me. I like to wear my sobriety with a nice, cozy, warm robe, right? Um, there's the SMART program. There's all sorts of ways, one in which can recover. There's harm reduction, which most people don't like to, to talk about. But if you're experiencing homelessness, let me tell you something right now. That's a population I work with. You ask them to stop using their DOC and they're out there on the streets. Yeah. That's not going to go well. The best you can ask for is harm reduction, which is a sidestep to slowly coming off the meth. You know, but that's a whole different conversation um, because that's actually my area of concentration as well when it comes to my education. But I think I love multidisciplinary wraparound approaches, meaning like when I was in the, in, the, in the streets working with the homeless, there was um, a peer advocate. There was an intern, me from UCLA. There was somebody who's been in the homeless um, outreach for like 50,000 years. Then there was like an, um, an addiction specialist. There was a mental health specialist. We were a team that came in and approached in, in all different ways, all different levels. Each person experiencing homelessness was approached by a multidisciplinary approach to pain, which one of us was going to resonate first with that person to make that connection. And from there, we got them resources. I think addiction is very similar. You have to find what works for you, right? You get on your knees and you pray, damn, that's awesome. They're not going to work for me because first of all, I got arthritis in my hip. <laughs> right. Um, and my boys would be like, mom, why are you on the ground? <laughs> um, but, but for me, like this kind of kind of like made up meditation. I look at amazing videos of like octopuses in the sea. I look at uh, NASA footage. These things all 
are kind of like my spiritual kind of meditation, kind of praying things that calm my soul. For me, this is the, the strangest stuff works for me. But I discovered that because I, you, in recovery, you have the opportunity to stop looking at life through the lens of resistance versus curiosity. Mm-hmm. And if you're resistant, you're pushing back on things that are, that actually, if you were to let in, might actually be kind of comforting. You don't know. Just try. So if you're curious, curious does not mean that you're just letting it in blindly saying, okay, that's accepting. I'm saying be curious. Mm-hmm. This is resistant. So many things will come into your treatment plan, your recovery that, that um, works for you, Right. So many people I know have taken their recovery and done beautiful things with it that is not straight up AA, but guess what? They're still showing up. They're not using, and they're an amazing uh, example to show people how awesome an individual sobriety can look like and how sexy we are. I'm sorry we are. (laughs) That's a fact. And that reminds me that I have an and program, DD, not an either or program. The 12 steps are a central part of my recovery, but so is smart recovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is much of what I have learned about the Buddhist spirituality. So is the principles that I've learned from people who practice yoga. Mm-hmm. I've taken all of this and I've integrated it into my recovery program because I have an and program, not an either or program. A multidisciplinary That's kind right. of program. Like I love Buddhism, Hinduism, and there's a little Christianity in there. Yep. There's some aspects of each one that I re- really resonate. So I kind of created my own goddamn, oh, sorry, excuse me, my own religion, right? Which is a mishmash of a patchwork. Because think about a patchwork blanket. You, you collect all of these beautiful pieces of fabric from other things that may not work as a shirt anymore, but you're going to cut a piece of it. Now it's going to become something else. Right. And then you put that with something else. You put cottons and polyesters and silks and all these things together. Now you have this beautiful blanket of all these textures and colors that represents the world. So why would your treatment plan, why would your recovery look any different? It's not linear. I mean, it can be if, if being linear and straight laced and PG in your recovery works for you, then my God, please. Absolutely. But I'm, like, I'm out of that box, man. I want it to be colorful. I want it to represent me. <laughs> yeah. We're huge advocates on the Way Out podcast of multiple pathways to recovery because everybody's journey is a little different. And when we allow people to be met where they are, when it comes to their recovery journeys, that's where the magic happens. Whether that's harm reduction, whether that's smart recovery, whether that's 12-step, Dharma, it doesn't matter. Whether it is a combination they're in. For me, coming into treatment, the most transformational thing for me was to embark on a 12-step journey as well as a therapeutic journey to address my trauma And I embarked on an EMDR-centric therapeutic journey in parallel with a 12-step journey, and that was transformational for me. And it was the secret combination that unlocked my potential to achieve meaningful and enduring sobriety. And before that point, I was convinced that was for everybody else and not me. 
that to me is just an indication that you weren't ready. Because I've always told my friends, if you have someone who's painfully in their addiction and you just don't know what to do anymore because yelling at them or whatever is not working, all you really have to say is, listen, I can tell that your energy is shift. I can tell that you're really in a tough place. I don't know what it feels like to be you, but all I know is I love you and I'm over here. I'm here to help you support you, whatever that might look like when you're, when you are ready. Mm. But meanwhile, I just want to let you know, I love you and I can see you. That's it. Also, that's, that's part of coming to where they're at. We did that in the field. When you right. go to, when you go up to somebody in the multidisciplinary group, you have to come up to that person where they're at. You can't come up there with your agenda and try to shove your agenda at them. You want to see somebody rebel? Do that. Absolutely. Do that. And, no you, question. I'm like, get the heck away from me, yeah. right? Come to where I'm at and we're going to have a conversation. We're going to tango. I'm going to be much more open to things you say if you come to where I'm at, where I'm at, not where you think I should be at, but where I'm at. And that also, you do have to tease out the difference between addiction because addiction's over here. Mental health is over here. Trauma is over there. And yes. don't get me wrong. Trauma and addiction, they love to dance. <laughs> they, they sure do. Tango. They go They go together like peanut butter and jelly. You they do. Me? So once, if you're treating addiction without the trauma and vice versa, that's a relapse waiting to happen, right? So it's super important to tease that out. And if you're Absolutely. working with somebody who only knows trauma or only knows addiction, it might be a good idea to pull somebody else in on your team. It's okay if you see a couple different people Absolutely. who are really experts in those areas because they are different. And also medically, can I just say this? We didn't talk about this yesterday. When you... When you've been uh, active in your disease, whether you're using a substance or gambling or, or sex or whatever it is, the brain chemistry changes. Cortisol and all sorts of stuff is produced, right? So it will change your biology. One of the most important things to do is get a complete physical from top to bottom because often your blood counts are so out of whack that you could be experiencing, say, low iron, which will make you tired and fatigued and will depress you. And now all of a sudden they're giving you a pill for depression when it's actually low iron, right? So let's get rid of the options of it being a physical thing first. And then if it's still depression or still anxiety, then you can go from there. But otherwise you might be treating something that's literally medical, not psychological or brain related or per peripheral system. Yeah. It's such an important point to bring up, Didi, because often, and I was very much in this category, we're very disconnected from our bodies yeah. and we have very poor physical body awareness yeah. because I assaulted my brain with myriad chemicals and substances. And I was very disconnected from physical symptoms and coming into recovery. That was a very important part of my journey to wellness was ensuring that I was addressing my physical health as well as my mental health as well as my emotional health and spiritual health. All of those things I needed to address. And you do need to be really honest with your doctor. You need to say, hey, I was doing meth for 10 years or alcohol. Yes. Or now, they're not going to probably understand or know what you're talking about. I've had literally a doctor try to prescribe pills to me when I was describing something right out of rehab. And I said, whoa, whoa, hold on there, <laughs> Dude, I don't think you understood what I just said. And that's okay. Give them a break that not a lot of people understand the the minutiae, the, the, the levels of addiction. 
right? And we are in a medical industry where it's like throw a pill at it, throw a pill at it. That's okay. I'm giving you permission to be part of your treatment plan. You should be part of your treatment plan. Ask questions. And if you have a doctor that's push, pushing back, go get a new doctor. Remember we talked about that? Same thing with an AA meeting. You go to an AA meeting or a smart meeting, whatever, and you don't like it because some snarky ass people in there, go to a different one. Because I promise you, if you go to a dentist that's hygienist, or whatever is poking your gums and making you bleed. I hope to God you go to a different one. Don't keep going to the guy who's going to make you bleed. Or decide that I guess all dentists are that way and I'm not going to go to the dentist anymore. Yeah, it's like all AA meetings are stupid. Right. Listen, I've gone to somewhere. I've been like, whoa, I feel like having left it. I just went to a dentist. And then later on, I went to a different one. And I was like, okay, that feels better. It's no different than the dentist. Go get a different dentist if they're doing that, right? And I think that um, same thing with your doctor. If he just really isn't getting it, you ask around to anybody who's in recovery. They probably have a really good doctor who understands the medical and the biology of an addict's body and what we go through and what to be testing you for to make sure that, you know, you maybe just need some supplements or something to get you kind of to help help you in your recovery with your body. We have to be our biggest advocates when it comes to our health, mental health and physical health and emotional health. We have to be our biggest advocates because if we don't, as you said, who is? And being your own advocate doesn't mean yet loud and rude. And anything. That's it right. Just, just means ask questions and, and yeah, and be gracious. Just ask questions, and they might get defensive, like you're trying to challenge their expertise. And you can say, "I'm not challenging. I'm just asking questions." I was always I'm encouraged to ask questions. And this person is really pushing you back. Not a problem. Get out of there and t- make that little extra effort to go see somebody else. That's all. I mean, listen. I mean, if you're in with a bad therapist who just is not getting, go to another one. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I was convinced that. My therapeutic journey worked so well this time because it was the right fit and the right methodology. And I was in the right place to be willing to receive it and do the work that I needed to do. Right. It's a combination. Curious versus resistance. Willingness, 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 willingness. It also reminds me, Dee Dee, which we discussed yesterday in the interview that went to the universe. <laughs> Hungry. Angry, lonely, and tired. And I add an S to that, which is stressed. And if I have any one or a combination thereof, I'm extraordinarily likely and more tempted to react versus respond to situations that are difficult. And that is a warning signal for me to. Pause and check if any of those conditions exist. Wait, when's the last time I ate? Wait, is there something on my mind that's been really, really bothering me that I haven't addressed? That's angry. Am I isolating? And have I been in my own little cocoon for too long? Am I lonely? Have I not been getting good sleep? I'm militant about my sleep. It's so important because it really does affect so much of our well-being and then stress hungry angry lonely tired stress halt i love that halt hungry angry lonely tired and stress i agree halts um that is a big one um i often forget that one (laughs) and this is what's kind of great about having trudging buddies other people who are in recovery because they'll just throw it we have have a group a group, a group text that I'm in every day and <laughs> someone will be saying, talking and one of us will be like, uh, have you checked halt? 
And the other person would be like, oh, damn. Oh, dang. I haven't eaten in like eight hours. Right? Yeah. Or yeah, you know, I haven't left my apartment in five days. Right. You know, maybe you're a little lonely. You know? um, or you're angry because something's going on in your life, you, you know, right? So, um, or hungry, like you said. Um, tired is a yes. big one. Yeah. Yes. I get hangry. That's my deal is I get hangry because I don't eat for a little too long. And I just went on a giant walk with my recovery dog, Louie. And my stomach is actually eating itself. But again, sometimes I don't have good physical body awareness. And just people's mere presence is starting to aggravate me. And I know then, like just you existing is aggravating me. I know that is a red flag that I need to go, you know, have a Snickers. Oh, I love Snickers. Oh my gosh. Don't even get me started. Coffee and chocolate, man. Woo. Oh, so I got to say ice cream. I never liked ice cream until I got sober. I don't know what the deal was, but like ice cream. Seriously. I, I would say the same thing. And then somehow I polish off my son's whole like quart of it. And he's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> and I looked at it and I just thought one bite and then it's gone, you know? And I'm like, I'll go buy you another one. It's like, mom. <laughs> For real. For real. Didi. We have to talk about Big Sky. Okay. So before we dig into it, for the benefit of those who have never seen it, give us big picture what Big Sky is all about. Big Sky is about a CJ Box, a set of his novels um, that were New York's bestsellers. And we're in our third season. And uh, David E. Kelly, my brother-in-law, change it up a teeny bit the first first 10 episodes now Elwood Reed has the show and he's now changing it up in, in a different way as well so it's about these two girls they're detectives and they're out in the middle of Montana and they're solving crimes left and right and we have all these guest stars that are amazing actors come and go and come and go because we kill them or they kill each other or <laughs> I don't know I always say come play with Big Sky we don't know what's going to happen to you and there's <laughs> they don't know either there's a lot of guest stars this season we're like i don't know if i'm a good or bad guy like we just don't know there's a bunch of people who think denise my character is a bad guy which is hysterical we will keep you running and chasing i love that yeah because the characters are very layered and very complex Mm -hmm. yes and they're very real these are not like characters that you would not not meet somewhere you would bump into these characters and not know that they're as twisted as they are and that's what's like super cool the first season too is the audience was in on it right but the two girls weren't so the journey was really cool to watch to follow the girls discover what you already knew now this third season we flipped it around the other way we have reba mcintyre dude this season we have jensen ankles we have Roseanne arquette we have um rex lynn we got a big cast this year every year we have a great cast um but this year we're really they're really going crazy this year we're gonna knock it out of the park and as i told you i wanted to finish the pilot last night i had started it and that it was past my bedtime, so I had to stop. And I started watching the pilot again, and my fiancé comes upstairs from studying and says, you're not watching that by yourself, are you? (laughs) And I immediately paused it and said, oh, I can wait. So I did, and we watched all the way from the beginning, the pilot and episode one. 
And we are hooked. We're in. We are absolutely in on this thing because absolutely it keeps you guessing. Yeah. And the, the characters, you don't know whether to love or hate them. Yep. There you go. Yep. You don't know who's good and bad. That's it. Or even, even if they're bad, you still kind of care about them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because you so really great. love the ones that are good, but then the ones that are bad, you should not like, but you kind of do. So it really wrecks with your head and your heart. We are a fun journey. Speaking of recovery journey, so is Big Sky. Um, we got people through the tail end of the pandemic for sure, because at that point, everyone was next, next flicked out. Everyone had seen everything a thousand times. And we came flying in, what, two and a half years ago and gave people new material. And that was, you know, so that was super fun. If folks want to get, caught up on big sky and they want to get into the third season how do they get to it hulu hulu or you can go to abc.com and figure it out that way too if you don't have hulu i've actually watched things on my computer but i would say hulu will catch you up and that what's cool about our um we start this we come back this wednesday um wednesday night is our new night 10 p.m uh, pacific time and what's cool is that a lot of people do it old school where they just wait every Wednesday for yes. episode, which is the way I grew up, right? You had to wait. You had to right? wait. Appointment yeah. TV. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I uh, hope your dad didn't turn the channel. Right. And <laughs> you were just shut up. Um, but now there's this new generation where I have like one group of friends who literally wait every week. And then there's another group who are like, oh, I love binging it. So they just store up like a, like a squirrel with nuts. They'll store up like four or five, six episodes and then binge it for a whole weekend and then just like literally not get out of their pajamas and like feel like they were on a roller coaster ride, you know? Yeah. It's easy to binge because, as you said, it's chocked full of cliffhangers. Oh, yeah. We are cliffhanger king and queen. now. <laughs> we do that really well. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, when I when I read the pilot, I thought I was missing a page at the end. I went, what? I, I, and I have a reading disorder. So I thought, well, maybe the what? what? So I read the end like three times. And I went, I called my manager. I said, did, did, am I confused? And he goes, no. <laughs> oh, my God. This show is going to be crazy. It the is. audience is going to go, what the bleep? I love it. I absolutely love it. It's my kind of show. It's absolutely yeah, my yeah. kind of show. Friends, we also make some enemies. Some people are like, oh, how dare you? Right. Yeah, yeah. They keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They get mad, but they keep watching. <laughs> Dee, we have some closing questions for you. Are you ready? Yes, always. What does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? Remaining grateful every day, making sure I do some kind of random act of kindness for another person and getting out of my own way, getting out of my own way because I am my worst own nightmare. My narrative will kneecap me if I allow it. Um, I think also just really remaining grateful every day that I'm alive and every day that I, I, I get to experience this rebirth and help others. Yeah. That's absolutely beautiful and a tremendous recipe for a great sober day. Gratitude, getting out of our own way and finding a way to help another human being. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. What book or piece of recovery literature had the biggest impact on your recovery? Well, uh, when I got sober, I was already 10 years into college and it was not an easy journey because I'm right brain, not left brain. So it was really tough. I have a reading disorder, blah, blah, blah. So when I graduated, I said, I will never read anything again. (laughs) 
ever, and do not say the R word ever around me, research. <laughs> not. I will lose a gasket. So uh, a lot of people gave me all these beautiful little recovery books. And I was like, oh, hell no, I ain't reading that. But I, but what I did was I find like these um, Instagram things to follow that are like spiritual vibrations and positive affirmations that just when I open up my phone, it just has a quick little like picture or a saying that I, that just resonates with me. Um, I'm a very visual person. So I'll like watch videos of, or on the Instagram, um, I watch like Octonation, <laughs> it's an octopus site. And um, <laughs> like little, that's the 15 second uh, clips of like octopuses under the sea doing, you know, shape shifting, which I, hello, shape shifter, excuse me. It, they're shape shifters. Don't get that's me. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm like, how in the hell did you just turn that rock? <laughs> I just saw you were purple and orange and yellow, and now you're a rock. Like, I just see to me that just, I don't know why, but it humbles me. It makes yeah. me again curious. And the water and the sea just all is calms my soul. So I do like really things like that. I'll look up at the sky at night and when I'm in New Mexico filming. The stars are so rich and so big and so chunky. Mm -hmm. and, and I saw a UFO one night. Yes, I did. You never know what you might find if you get your face out of your phone and you look up in the sky for any amount of time. People who are not believers, get out of your phone and look up in the sky. <laughs> There's probably one right above your head and you wouldn't notice because you're tweeting. <laughs> we can find spirituality in all sorts of things. We can find it in recovery literature. We can find it in positive Instagram posts. Didi, speaking of that, I just learned something really cute and really amazing, and I have to share it with you because you'll love this. Did you know that baby owls sleep on their faces because oh. their heads are too heavy? Oh my God. No, but see, that's the stuff. See? That, like, that makes me, I love that. Like, I would love to see a little baby owl on its little face. Oh my so God. That's your, next, no that's your next search, okay? That's your next social media yeah, search. I is, owls. Yes, I follow um, Geo. I follow any, yeah, Lions, <laughs> Dean Snyder. Yeah, I'm like all about the animals here. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes, baby owls sleep on their faces, and that is the cutest thing ever. Um, I love that. See, like that stuff just makes me, I don't know, just so happy. Yes, there's makes spirituality in that. Oh, absolutely. And it produces serotonin, dopamine, and all this stuff that we that that we used to get when you get that hit of whatever, dope or alcohol, whatever. We now get it produced in a different way. You just discover what that looks like for you. And you can get those same hits, but they but you won't get the hangover, which is kind of really nice. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up, Didi, because what we experience in recovery is a much more genuine and authentic version of what we manufactured in our addictions and it is healthy we can choose to do these healthy things like for me i walk every day with my recovery dog louie and i'm a huge advocate of finding something physical to do that you like whether it's tennis whether it's walking whether it's running whatever but you get those endorphins kicking and you're doing some self-care for your physical body. It's it's a really great way to substitute the time that we used to spend in our addiction. Oh, my God. It's so true. Yeah. 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 Didi, what is the best piece of advice you've received in recovery thus far? Uh, God, I've gotten... 
I've received so many what I call zingers. <laughs> get out of your own way. Stay in your own lane. <laughs> um, get out of your own. Um, um, I'm going to, I think it has to go, and I hate to repeat myself, but I, I, I would have to say for me, it's really incredible to have gone from the identified problem to the identified possibility. And every day that I choose to do that is another day that I just am so excited and happy to be alive and share that with others. So, and that's a choice, you know, and that person told me that we make those choices, you know, no one's, yeah, like, because that's what you are. That's what you earn to be that, right? Um, Absolutely. And we do that primarily by getting out of our own way, right? And what a great piece of recovery advice. That's a, the big one for me is that daily I do have to get out of yes. my, my narrative is just, I would never talk to anybody the way I talk to myself, like ever. None of us would ever talk to other people the way we talk to ourselves. And there, therein lies a really good example of why you should get out of your own way. Cause look at how negative and nasty and mean we could be to ourselves. Right. I have to Absolutely. Throw Absolutely. Throw the room to stop that, that part <laughs> of me from having like any, space and time i'm like now what was i call them drive-bys like i'm like doo, 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 and all of a sudden i get this thought wham yeah and i go that was a drive-by piece of negative nastiness that just came into my head why would you do that to yourself why would you bring up that old thing that happened 10 years ago bring it into the present that now makes you feel like shit about yourself yeah. what was that about that was just a drive-by uncalled for you know <laughs> you have to be mindful of that and be like i don't know what that was for but i need to just shake that shit up right now and get yeah no. <laughs> I've heard folks introduce themselves in meetings like I'm an addict and my problem is Charlie. Although I would never try to identify with that statement in, in the way that I would introduce myself. I do think it makes a good point for me to be able to understand that primarily I need to ensure that I'm doing the work on me and getting out of my own way so that I can authentically connect with myself my mm -hmm. higher power and other people. And those authentic connections are what recovery is all about. Yeah. And you know something I want to bring to them, which I thought was really interesting in rehab, they would say, Oh, we have to learn how to love yourself. And then you always hear, Oh, you have to learn how to love yourself. And I stood up in rehab and I said, hold on, hold the F on. Okay. Here's my problem with that. You say to us, and it is true, all or nothing thinking. Okay. Black and white right. thinking is never good, right? We need those shades of gray, right? But if you're asking us addicts to go from self-loathing, which is where we are, self-loathing, okay, to self-love, that my friend is all or nothing thinking. Yeah. So I said, how about this? How about if every day we work on every day, actively work on little baby likes, just find one little baby like, not love, get rid of that L word for a minute, because that's a big leap to go from self-loathing hate to love? No, no, no. So I said, little baby likes, what did you do today about yourself that you like? Oh, I opened up the door for that person with crutches and they, they didn't think I was gonna do that. I like that I did that. There's one, chalk it up. So if every day you can find baby likes that you can chalk up, one day all those baby likes will hopefully lead to self-love. I love but that. I think that that to me is eating an elephant one bite at a time. Absolutely. But this absolutely, you, know, you have to learn to love yourself. I'm like, oh, just stop. Because it, it, you're setting everyone up for failure, especially if you're coming from zero to, and you're asking us to go to 10. 
man, you got to take things slowly, methodic, you know, just kind of hold on, baby likes. And it reminds me that self-esteem for me is based on esteemable acts. So I can choose to act in a way that's consistent with the person I am trying to be. And when I do that, I do that that you like. (laughs) That's it. I can recognize myself for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like when you decide to actively use your skills, I responded because I took the Trevor pause instead of reacting, which is old. That's a baby like. Yes. I Hey, I did not. I showed up today. I didn't use. There's a baby like. That's right. Just like yesterday, Didi, when the interview went to the universe and I was in despair, Mm -hmm. I chose to go for a walk with my recovery dog, move through the five stages of grief. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got back, I was able to treat myself and everybody in my house with love and compassion and not force my bad experience on them and ruin everybody's day. And I got to do something I wanted to do. I hung up some cameras in the front yard so we can watch the birds and the wildlife. I felt good about it. And when I got done with that, I checked my email and we got an opportunity to have a second chance at what has been a tremendous interview, Didi. So there is a baby like in action. There, that's a big baby like. <laughs> that's a baby Huey like. <laughs> Didi, what is the greatest challenge you've had in recovery? Forgiving myself mm-hmm. for things I said and did in the past. Yeah. With not just my children, but my family and friends. Yeah. Um, I think everybody in recovery probably has an element of that, some worse than others. Um, all of our stories are not very pretty. I mean, I, I don't think it's about comparing ugly stories. Um, whether the the things that we're trying to forgive ourselves are ugly or not, comparative to others, it, there, it's still work. It's a big one. It's a big one. And I do have to remind myself that there's no healing back there. Yeah. Anything in the past is back there. There's no healing. The only healing is in the now, right now, not future tripping and not pulling stuff from the back. But that's hard. Sometimes that stuff comes flying in from the past and I, I pull it into the, to the present and makes me feel like shit about myself. And I mean, really bad in that. They're, yeah. they're, and then there lies my work where I go, okay, there's another drive-by. Why did you do that? That was not very nice. You know, you're over, over trying to stay sober every day and you just threw a big ship all at yourself, which you did all by yourself, Dee. Dee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was my mind, my memory that pulled that nasty thing I did or said in the past and brought it to the future, brought it, not the future, sorry, into the present, right? I did that. I did that. Our minds can be our allies or our enemies if we learn to control them. And that's something for me, it's kind of hard. I'm just so used to beat myself up. You know no I mean? doubt about it. And self-forgiveness default. is a process mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. practice and something I work on every day. I f- actively, out of my meditation, forgive myself and others unconditionally. I have to do that daily. I'm the worst. I forgive everybody all the time to a fault. 
Like, don't even start my relationships. Like, I'm like, okay, well, you didn't mean to sleep with that other girl. <laughs> it was an accident. Um, but no, I'm like the worst when it comes to forgiving other people to a fault. And then the buck stops with me. I have zero tolerance for myself, but yet I'm way too lenient with other people. When that's boundaries, right? One of the things that we work on in recovery <laughs> is boundaries, not allowing people to violate our boundaries. And that's something I never learned. And now with my rebirth, I'm learning how to lay boundaries down with love. Yes. Lay down boundaries down with an ax. Right. You can just be like, well, there's a boundary. But for people don't know what your boundaries look like unless you let them know. Absolutely. Often them accidentally teetering into those boundaries. And then it's how you educate them. And how you communicate that boundary in, like you said, a loving way. We don't have to have imaginary boundaries that then when people violate them, you attack them for boundaries that they didn't know you had. Right? Most people are going are out to violate your boundary. They accidentally did it because something was a boundary for you may not be a boundary for me. And how the hell is this guy supposed to know that? Right. So he's going to like do his thing. And then it's up to you to be like, "Ooh, ouch, that's a boundary. (laughs) Her or they to hear you. And if not, then you have an action that needs to be taken, which is, you know, ask yourself if this is the person you really want to be around who's not really interested in listening to your communicating what your boundaries are. Make choices in life. There you go. Didi, the next one's a doozy and we end with a fun one. Oh, I love it. What is something you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Well, I just said I forgive everybody for everything. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Um, um, myself, mm-hmm. some of the things I said did with my children, really, because, um, but I got to tell you, I have a 16 and 20 year old. We're like the three stooges because I've raised them on my own. And, um, I mean, across the board, um, financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, I've raised my boys. It takes a village. My family and friends have helped, but let me tell you, um, wow. Doing that with that big old monkey on my back, my my addict, um, was not easy. So there were times I said and did things that now, and that's the stuff that will come back and and sometimes kneecap me in the present moment. Um, to say which one, many, because sadly in addiction we just don't behave badly once. <laughs> sometimes we do it for years and years and years, and then you write it off as well, you know. It's, it was this, it was that, it was this, it was that. No, I was active in my disease and I was trying to cope as a single mom and I behaved badly, you know, and I just tell my boys, I'm really sorry. But what's beautiful is every day that I'm sober is another day I show them what the authentic self really looks like. And I'm, they have memories of what I looked like when I was active in my disease so that they have choices in life. And I hopefully am a soft landing for them if they ever mm-hmm. need somebody, if they find themselves struggling with addiction. Hopefully their mom shows them that where to, where it's, where's the soft landing, you know, if they need help. I love the idea of being a soft landing and Didi, just like as a part of my recovery process, I forgave my parents by understanding that they did the best they could with what they had at the time. And sometimes it wasn't enough and they hurt me but I forgave them. I also have an opportunity to extend myself that same forgiveness. I did the best I could with what I had at the time. And I fell short sometimes and Mm -hmm. I failed to show up sometimes. 
And sometimes I showed up as the wrong person and I hurt people, not because I wanted to hurt you, but because I was hurting and I didn't know any better. And I can extend myself that same forgiveness on a daily basis. And it's a practice and it's a journey. Yeah, four plus years. And I, that self-forgiveness card is something I'm still working on. <laughs> but being a soft landing is a part of that process. Yeah. And I've learned that my role as a parent is best served as being the best example of recovery I can be on a daily basis rather than trying to mold them or force them to do X or try to impart some pearl of wisdom or try to force them to do X, Y, or Z. None of that is as helpful. And sometimes that's hurtful. None of that certainly is as helpful as just trying to be the best human being I can be and serve as that role model so that they have something that they can look to that's positive. That is beautifully said and absolutely on point. One of the things we make mistakes, whether you're an addict or not, and you have a parent, you do try to live your children's life. You try to dedicate <laughs> to them what they should be doing. For that's world, it. You right. know? And that I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. Okay. But the best, I think your best you can do, like you said, is stay in your own lane, show them what sobriety looks like. We already showed them what it looks like to be in your, your, your disease. They got that. They got that. They got yeah. that. Okay. But now we get to show them the flip side of that. You know, God forbid they ever find themselves on their journey. And I say that again, their journey, not your journey, mom and dad, their journey, which is going to look different. And whether that in includes an addiction or not, we don't know. Right. It will manifest itself. You will be sitting back holding your breath with any better and hope to God they don't have that, but they may or may not. But all you can do is, I said that to my boys, I cannot live your life for you and I can't stop you from doing whatever in the heck it is you're going to do in life. Hey, one thing, I'm here for you and I love you. If you guys ever need any help, you know to go, I'm here. Not necessarily, I'm not going to fix you. I'm not going to do it, but I know friends who can help you. You know, you know, I went to one of the best rehabs. I have support people, whatever, who could, they could talk to you because it might be too weird to talk to me because I'm your mom. But, you know, you just let them know that you're a liaison to resources. You're a soft landing. There's no judgment. It's okay. It's a disease. You may have a disease. You may not. We don't know. But I'm here for you just in case you do. I don't know. Because I came back and I was like, oh my God, you guys are predisposed. And my son was like, mom, stay in your own. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? He got so mad at me. Now, my, he's a teenager. Of course, he's out there drinking, right? But I was like, oh, my God, he's an addict. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm a teenager. I'm just so, you know, and I had to really kind of step back and say, you know something, you're right. I don't know if you're just messing around. You're a teenager. or the problem. Just be safe and be smart and Uber. Please don't drink and drive. Okay. That's don't it. be dumb. And I love you. And I hope that this is just a, a teenage phase, you know. And I love that. DD, because that's what I've learned. I've learned to allow them to have their journey yeah. and respect that it's their journey and that my efforts are best served focused on my journey being the best example of recovery I can be on a daily basis. So that if for any reason that they struggle with any of the things that I've struggled with, they might come to me. Or at least if they don't come to me, they know that recovery is possible. Yeah. And it's not scary. 
and you are kind of cool and we are smart and we're charming and we're funny and we're sexy and that's what recovery looks like right and look at the rebirth they're they're seeing their dad go through my boys are seeing a rebirth with me you know doesn't mean they still don't get mad at me and and sometimes throw some of the stuff that's happened in the past at me Mm -hmm. you know which is valid that's that's real shit it's real yep yep real Use it out though. That's back there. What? Why is that? Why did you bring that up right now? Are you trying to make, you trying to make me feel bad? Because you did a good job. Talk about cleaning the litter box out. Okay. What do you have to do with me ten years ago being an asshole to you? Right now, I'm asking you to do the litter box. Two separate things, boy. Where's your point? Because in the beginning, you know, you just feel so darn bad. For no doubt you. about it. Oh, the the guilt. The oh, not oh, only you know, I'm three times divorced, so I had divorce guilt. Plus, I'm, I had times divorced too. Damn, three strikes, you're out. Aren't you, aren't you engaged again? I am. You're a bigger man than me, man. I'm not I am. I'm dating yet. What? Well, <laughs> I've also been busy. Yeah, right. You've been very <laughs> busy. Over yes. Yes. Between LA and New Mexico. And, yeah. Yeah. So my 20 year old and my 16 year old, hopefully, the longer I am in recovery one day at a time, trying to be a good example of a human being, they have that role model to look up to Didi, we have one last question and it's the most fun question of all i love fun let's do it what song symbolizes recovery to you oh man i answered this yesterday what the heck did i say oh yeah um uh where is the love by uh the most awesome band um the black eyed peas black eyed, i always say green eyed peas <laughs> my sons are like who are you talking about i'm like yeah green eyed peas they're like that's not even the name what do you what is wrong with you i'm like oh and they're like and do you have to play this song every morning i'm like yes i do <laughs> and i'm gonna play my michael jackson and my and my yeah yeah i am um so um to madonna and all my <laughs> disco um i like that song because it's about love love as absolutely my higher power in the beginning and still is love mother earth and all of that i think love is power more powerful than hate i think that light is more brighter than dark i think that it's love that changes the energy around us and when we get together and we have a common denominator as such as love or good intentions i think that the sky's the limit as people we're just so disjointed right now especially in this country we're so disjointed and we're not effective and we're not powerful when we're like this but when we're together we can literally move things and i mean and for me and my sobriety it's all about that so when she's she, that band is belting out where's the love and they're going through it all the things in the world there's somehow although it's not a depressing song which is crazy although they're like you know they're naming all this stuff yeah or and all this stuff is kind of messed up but yet it encourages the shit out of me to remember that love is powerful that love is strong man love will always kneecap me and and can kneecap grown men man love is ultimately what we're trying to get to in recovery love for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters in and out of recovery and where is the love by the black eyed peas is a new one we've never had that as a way out podcast song recommendation so that will be added to the way out podcasts curated playlist so check the show notes right now for where is the love by the black eyed peas a great song recommendation we'll also have all of the information to find out how to watch get caught up on Big Sky and all about Dee Dee Pfeiffer. 
So check the show notes right now also for her best recovery advice and what she does instead of read because not everybody's a reader. Let's face it. Dee, thank you so much. This was an absolute blast. Again. <laughs> thank you, Charlie. <laughs> and thank you, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast land. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.